Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Woman Being Podcast. I am here with the beautiful Kelly Ann and Emma, and we have a guest with us today, Amanda, who is the prevention supervisor and volunteer coordinator for One Safe Place, which is an amazing local organization that she's going to tell you all about. So um, we will dive in. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine so amanda tell us about one safe place and what they do and what kind of your role is in that yeah so one safe place is a local organization and nonprofit, and we help survivors of domestic abuse, sexual assault, human trafficking, um, as well as other services within that area. And we help women, men, and children. And I work in the prevention department. I am the prevention supervisor and the volunteer coordinator there. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit about why you chose to enter into this role. Yeah, so it was a bit of a surprise at first. I was just going through school and needed a job that worked with my hours, which is funny. Um, But I mean, there was a point where I chose to stay. And I think for me, it was reflecting that um, I come from a family that has a lot of strong women. Um, And even though in my personal history, I haven't been affected by domestic violence or sexual assault on a personal level, definitely sexual harassment, but not sexual assault. Um, I still really believed in the mission and the vision of what, like, what we do. And mm-hmm. so that's why I decided to lend strength to the organization as well as I really have a heart to be in culture. Um, and I love the church, but I really wanted to be out of that bubble and actually be in a space where I could have conversations and, um, yeah, just kind of be around um, conversations in culture. So, yeah. That's, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's like super important, I think. That's something that the church sort of misses sometimes. I mean, we're all Christians and mm-hmm. believers and yeah. part of that community, but like there's so often the the desire to go towards uh, isolating mm-hmm. as a church and like not really um, being part of the community, being part of uh, the world, as they call it, mm-hmm. um, for fear of like, I guess, contamination, you right, know? Right, right. But um, yeah. Yeah, that's super important. And that's one of the things that, like, really irks me. (laughs) And so I just wanted to go against that. I'm like, I thought Christians aren't supposed to have fear. So why aren't we in all of the spaces that Mm -hmm. make important decisions? And so, yeah, I think that was one of the biggest reasons that I kind of, you know, stuck it out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, And when it comes to the church and awareness, Mm -hmm. I think we could definitely take the opportunity to ask you what are some of the warning signs that we as just people, neighbors, community members can be looking out for when it comes to abuse or even, you know, sometimes even within the church when Mm -hmm. we're not educated about consent and purity culture is just this shouldn't happen. So you don't know what to do when it does happen. So what are what are some things that we can all look out for? Yeah, definitely. Um, And this can be warning signs where like maybe a friend of yours is in a new relationship and you can kind of, yeah, you know, there are certain red flags Mm -hmm. that everybody should be aware of. 
Um, I think one of the biggest ones I would say is isolation. Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden your friend, you know, can't hang out with you or seems like they're not allowed to be with you anymore, or all of a sudden they're pulling back from their family or their regular activities, that's a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, No one should, you know, be made to feel like they have to cut ties with their loved ones. So that's a big one. Um, Another one is extreme jealousy. If your partner, you know, questions who you're texting, who you're with all the time, um, and that kind of ties into control. Um, If they're very controlling, um, yeah, that's a a big warning sign. As well as like any unwanted touching, if they keep pressuring you into doing something you're not ready to do, if they're not respecting your boundaries, that's a huge one. Um, Any physical harm, I mean, that's an obvious one, but... You would be surprised sometimes you're so in love and you're so kind of blind to like things that are happening that you think that, you know, if someone is like trying to make you stay in a room and asserting themselves um, in your way, then that that's actually a warning sign. No one should be putting their hands on you. No one should be telling, you know, trying to keep you from leaving a place, blocking your entrance or whatever. So, yeah, those are some of the warning signs. Can I ask a little further? Yeah. What yeah. about people that have been in like long-term committed relationships or people that seem happy on the outside? Like, is there anything that's like, oh, like that that's a little off and could be something like as a friend, like I might be concerned for you and how, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say um, if you notice that, you know, maybe they've been together for a while, but it seems like they're letting their partner do all the talking or it Mm -hmm. seems like they're experiencing anxiety or there's some kind of like fear going on or uh, kind of like a hush hush moment even if you like you're an employee at a company and you have clients in front of you and maybe just one of the partners does all the talking to me that's an indicator of Mm -hmm. like okay maybe i should try to sit with the other client by themselves and ask the questions like are you safe are you okay is something happening Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that would be one of the things, just anxiety and yeah. fear. What actually you brought up like unwanted physical touch. And like, I think when we hear that, mm-hmm. what comes to mind is like, oh, you're like groping me or mm-hmm. you're, you're touching me in places I don't want you to touch. But I feel like a lot of times, like at least growing up, that was like tickling. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a tangent, but like, mm-hmm. I hate that, like, for whatever reason, tickling is like considered okay in the male world mm-hmm. and like I've never heard a woman go yes please tickle me <laughs> <laughs> like every yeah. single woman I know goes I hate tickling yeah and when they're being tickled they say stop yeah and that's like just one of the basic mm-hmm. yeah physical touches that is crossing a boundary but yeah. like for whatever reason it's okay because it's playful mm-hmm. yeah and it's like but it's still controlling actually mm-hmm. yeah I have a beef with tickling, and I just yeah. wanted to point that out. Like, if someone yeah. is tickling you and you don't want them to, you can tell them to stop. Yeah. And if they don't, yeah, punch that's them not in the okay. Face. Yeah, no, yeah, but that's real. Or like when you were little, and like maybe an older man like touched you on the knees, and that was uncomfortable for you. Like, you should be able to say no, thank you, and like for that person to like, even if you're a kid, like any unwanted touching like you have autonomy over your body and you should be able to say no and have someone respect those boundaries Mm -hmm. it's interesting though too because like if you know you mentioned like sitting with a client if you're in your workplace and asking are you okay are you safe like that typically can be received very negatively Mm -hmm. or even like a young child to an adult like Mm -hmm. actually no thank you 
Like that's that's typically not respected, which is very surprising to me because for some reason we separate like kids from being like actually people that mm-hmm. get to make choices because they're young mm-hmm. and they're being raised. Or if you make an accusation or people feel like it's accusatory. If you're like, hey, are you safe? Like, are you okay? And that's just also very interesting. Like, people get touchy about these things. Yeah, they do. And I think that, I mean, the best scenario for that would be to separate them. So you're not mm-hmm. asking, are you safe in front of, like, there may be perpetrator. Like, right. you yeah. kind of want to see if there's, like, a little window where you can talk to them in private. Totally. Um, and if there's not, then it, it's really hard to, to say what you can do if you're just a stranger. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you can, if you see something happening overtly, like, if, you know, all of a sudden there's some kind of discussion and there's like, you know, like physical harm in any way, then you can say, hey, knock that out or like mm-hmm. say something. Yeah. You know, absolutely. don't just be a bystander. But um, yeah, when you don't have any proof, it is mm-hmm. kind of difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to children, my understanding is that children really can't legally give consent to like anything right mm-hmm. because they're they're not fully like developed and mm-hmm. so under the law like mm-hmm. I mean that to, goes to the extreme of like if a child were sexually assaulted it is instantly like non-consensual because okay. they are a child but mm-hmm. like I even think of smaller things like if a child were just being touched by an adult on the shoulder yeah. or something like they technically can't really give consent to that and also Mm -hmm. with the power dynamic between being a child versus an adult like there's not really that permission as well Mm -hmm. is another thing I think about with that in in talking about consent uh there's also obviously in abuse there's certain cycles that happen I want to know more about what some of the most common victim abuse abuser cycles are and like what makes it so difficult to break those cycles I feel like you touched on that a little bit in talking about someone just being like enamored by somebody Mm -hmm. else but like what are some of those factors and those cycles you see yeah so it's kind of intricate um but one of the cycles that we talk about all the time is the power and control wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have seen that before, but basically the outer wheel is comprised of like the more like physical things that you may see, like punching, grabbing, murder, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but inside the wheel are the more, um, are different kinds of abuse that maybe are not seen mm-hmm. from the outside as much. So, isolation kind of like where we talked about already um there can be using kids which is a way where perpetrators will say well i'm gonna report you know cps on you or i'm going to harm the kids or i'm gonna blah 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 and that keeps someone in that um relationship even though it's a bad or unsafe relationship um so yeah using kids isolation there can be um, emotional abuse which is oftentimes when you talk to survivors they say that the emotional abuse was the hardest part of the abuse, not even the physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, because emotional abuse, um, you know, like saying mean things or degrading someone, gaslighting, mm-hmm. not sure if everyone's familiar with gaslighting, but basically when um, you say like these things that you did hurt me and then the person will basically question your reality or recollection of events and kind of make you feel like you're crazy like that no that didn't happen Mm. um emotional abuse is so 
it's just so harmful because it starts getting at the person's identity. And when it hits someone's identity, then their self-worth is really lowered. And that taps into like learn helplessness. And then it's really hard for someone to leave and have the agency or the willpower to be able to leave a situation if they just have no hope. Mm. Um, so and again, that's another tactic where the abuser has all the power and control and they keep that person in that relationship. Um, there are many things. So I'm kind of just giving you a few. Um, there's also threats. And this one is an important one to mention because not only threats to kill you, but threats to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you leave me, I can't go on. Or if uh, I can't have you, no one can have you. Or, I'm, you know, I'm going to kill myself. Um, that keeps the victim or the survivor in that power and control dynamic. Um, so these are just some of the things that can keep someone in a relationship. Um, but the whole point is that one person has more power and then the other person is subject to be in that um, relationship and it just goes over and over again. Um, I do want to mention there is a there's another wheel which is, called, which is called the cycle of violence and basically it starts out in the honeymoon stage which is where people like fall in love and everything is beautiful and perfect and you know he or she is so charismatic and just a great person and then there is the attention building space where it's kind of like maybe there are threats or words that are said or um, boundaries that are crossed and then it goes into the explosion which explosion can be either like something physical or it could be threats again. It could be, you know, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to keep the relationship going, there's a point where the perpetrator has to, you know, um, apologize, deny or blame and say, no, you made me do this. If you weren't this you know, aggressive, if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have to do this to mm-hmm. you. And so that goes back to the honeymoon stage. And then so the cycle repeats over and over again. Oh, mm-hmm. I feel like I've definitely heard instances of that where it's mm-hmm. like, it's sort of like, oh, I'm so sorry, whatever. And then like life is good for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, you know, inevitably follows that cycle of abuse again. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned like the power dynamics that are at play there. And we, or I recently been thinking and exploring this idea of power dynamics, especially when it comes to like the patriarchal society we mm-hmm. live in and how women are subject to a lot of that. And mm-hmm. so do you see kind of that um, male, female power differential being a huge factor in domestic Definitely. Views? Yeah. And that's actually one of the pieces of the power and control wheel. Um, it's called male privilege. And so basically it could look like if a male has really strict patriarchal views or if they want to treat their partner like a servant or a slave, um, if they believe that they're the ones in the right to make all the decisions, that will literally keep someone in the relationship because they have more power than the other person. Mm. Um, so yeah, male privilege is like a huge uh, tactic uh, to keep someone in a, an abusive relationship for sure. Yeah. When we see like so I hate to, you know, bring this up, but in the church, obviously mm-hmm. we have typical, the typical evangelical church has a, um, an understanding of the role that men and women are supposed to be in and wherever your theology, you know, lands on that, obviously it's different among different people, but there's, we're seeing a lot of this abuse kind of come into the church as well, where, you know, where we have 
um, young boys being abused by Catholic priests. And we have all these women that are coming out and saying they were abused by, you know, Ravi Zacharias, who's a prominent leader. So how do you do you see patterns in the way that the church the the church views women? And um, do you think that like we have a role in perpetuating some of these abuse cycles? Yeah, um, that's an important question. Um, (laughs) So I think on a theological level, when you look at um, the Bible and you look at certain verses, um, which lay out kind of the role of men and women in a very black and white manner, there is some sort of hierarchy within that system, which says that men are the head of the household and women are kind of the servant slave type helper persona and I think the church perpetuates the cycle of abuse because they distort the roles that men and women have um so for example if in a you know in the church setting there's a a husband and a wife who are you know in a domestic violence situation the husband can keep the wife in that pattern of you know abuse by kind of going back to the threats maybe saying you know if you seek for help no one's going to believe you or this is your role as a wife and then maybe if she seeks help try to get help from the pastor the pastor may say something like well you should just pray harder or this is your cross to bear or if you did you know x y and z maybe your husband would stay with you or would treat you differently and I wish these were statements that were just make-believe or like I do like hearsay, but actually I've heard these things from survivors before. Yeah. Um, and so I think the church kind of perpetuates that cycle within our structure because even if we think the men is the head of the household and we believe that in like a distorted way, then that means that they're the ones making all the decisions. They're the ones controlling all the money. They're the ones that get to say what they can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And that's already very controlling. That's already access to finance. That's threats. That That's literally like half of our wheel. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think the church definitely plays a role yeah. in, um, in keeping someone in that cycle of abuse. But I do think it's because it's a distorted view of how they value women. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's, um, okay, this is something I'm still like processing. Mm -hmm. Um, But recently when I was listening to the Faith and Feminism podcast, um, who we're actually going to have the host of the Faith and Feminism podcast on soon, um, that episode will be out in a couple weeks after this one. But Um, I was listening to that and, uh, her guest talked about how the, the fall. So like when Adam and Eve sinned and were then, uh, given sort of these consequences of the fall, right? It's man will, will toil and, Mm -hmm. and work and women will uh, be subject to the man and will have pain in childbirth and the snake, AKA the devil will be under the foot of the man or whatever to very briefly (laughs) summarize those. Um, This is the first time I'd ever heard it described in this way, which was um, that this is the birth of abuse right here, is that abuse is actually part of a consequence of the fall and this idea of of the woman being subjugated to the man Mm. is this introduction of a power differential that wasn't there before and the introduction of 
of sort of that that male privilege you talk about, like those those dynamics that have been sort of insidious for all of human history of um, of man trying to abuse the power they have over woman. And obviously there are instances of abuse like it with people of the same gender and there's instances of women abusing men, but that this is sort of the introduction of that larger trend mm-hmm. of the the subjugation of, of women to men that then allows for abuse to happen. And I heard this and I was like, what? <laughs> like I'd never heard of the fall described in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, or of like the this this toxicity like, I, I mean, I think of generally, like, the idea of abuse as being a result of the fall because it's a sinful thing and, like, all sin is sort of a result of the fall of of humankind. But, like, the idea that, like, this is actually a consequence of of man's mankind sort of stepping mm. away from God in that way. Mm. That's incredible. Thank you for saying that. But also how beautiful because then Jesus paid for it. Mm-hmm. And what a higher mandate for the church to uh, to radically go after this and an opportunity to raise the standard and bring redemption and reconciliation to these types of issues and i just want to circle back to some of what amanda said um if you are being told that your um mistreatment is because of you or that you um need to pray harder or it, that there is a prerequisite causing your abuse or mistreatment, I just want to go ahead and say that that is not right and that you, you, I would encourage you to f- do whatever you feel like you need to do to feel safe and to seek help to get out of that poor situation. I just want to bring that up, that those things are not true and it's not okay for a spiritual leader to make you feel like you are trapped or that you deserve a poor situation. Yeah. And I mean, and that's part of why I wanted to bring that up, actually, is that like, if abuse is part of the consequence of the fall, Mm -hmm. there's no reason why the church should embrace it. Yes, absolutely. The the church should actually be doing everything to uh, work against abuse um, rather than blaming the victim yes. of or the abuse or in, it, you know, yeah because yeah, it's the, the opposite of god's will yeah like if this is something that is l- like a direct has a direct correlation with go- falling away from god then mm-hmm. why would the church like endorse it essentially mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. i i love that you guys brought that up because um i think with any institution there is like really bad things that happen underneath the surface. We could pull apart any church. We could pull apart any industry. Absolutely. Um, but I do, I did want to say, like, it's, it's not obviously the heart of God for uh, women or any survivor to be in that situation. Um, and even to bring up, like, in Genesis, when, you know, um, God is forming the women, he calls her the helper, but helper means, like, kind of the same word they used to use for Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And we know yeah. the Trinity is equal mm-hmm. in power. Um, and in importance and worth. And then furthermore, if you go back to the New Testament and the verse that says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church, I am like, that is the highest standard that you could possibly love someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't see where abuse is in that equation at all. And so that already dismantles the biblical, like um, that that's God's view for, you know, a relationship. It's not. It's his view for a relationship is healthiness and love and 
yeah. partnership. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of love looks like Jesus. Love looks like laying our life down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like Saying, it looks I'll like. I'll die for that. Right. Mm-hmm. For broken, for other people who are broken and civil, you know. So it's like yeah. in a husband wife context that that means like anything mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You die for her for anything. You yeah. know, yeah. not that you lord over her or no jesus is the least controlling person he's like if you want to stick with me eat my uh, my flesh and drink my blood and then everybody else yeah yeah Yeah. jesus jesus wasn't like manipulating them or coercing people to follow him like he it was an open invitation and and yes like following jesus is is fruitful and beautiful and he's like i have abundant life for you Mm -hmm. but you get to choose if you want that Mm -hmm. or not absolutely well and even in what you were saying um everyone left and Jesus wasn't saying you're abandoning the son of God or that you are um doing something to mess up your life that you're missing an opportunity he didn't say any of that he just let people go mm-hmm. and respected their choices and then still died for them and then yeah. still yeah. died for yeah. them yeah. and said it doesn't matter mm-hmm. like I will still do it and I'm like that's the part that blows my mind and that I think the church really needs to embrace like mm-hmm. people walked away from him and he said I'll still die for you and he yeah. didn't try to stop them yeah. and he didn't shame you know, them. he didn't shame them he didn't guilt them he didn't try to control them he just was like all right they made their choice there was, yeah. it feels like respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So I've noticed like, as we've been talking, you kind of, you've used the word survivor as mm-hmm. opposed to like victim or, or client is another one. Yeah, yeah. 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 So like, tell us a little bit about kind of this terminology and why you choose to use those words and like what the meaning is behind that and yeah. the significance. Um, so we use survivor a lot in our field um, because Victim kind of has... I did it, too. Dang it. What? Sorry, I was just mad at myself because I said victim just a moment ago. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah. honestly, it's fine. Um, It's just that victim sometimes has this connotation of uh, helpless or weak or, mm. you know, yeah, just, I guess, just weak or helpless. Mm-hmm. And survivor has... To me, at least, <laughs> has a meaning of someone who has overcome. Like yeah, someone it's like who strength. Has, yeah, yeah. It's like, like you you're on the other say. side. Mm-hmm. Like you've survived something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And so we, yeah, we change that language. Um. We say that we're survivor-centered agency, meaning mm-hmm. we. So the thing about domestic violence, we talked about power and control. So when we offer services, we are giving the power back to the client, and so we're not trying to say well, you should leave this person and, you know, so-and-so is treating you awful and blah, blah, blah. We actually get to ask them, how would you like to move forward? What does safety look like to you in this moment? And just kind of putting the power back to them. And a lot of times they they think, you know, well, you're the professional, like you should tell me what to do. Mm. But actually the, the beautiful thing about empowering survivors is that they get to, as they're kind of in this journey to figure out what safety looks like to them, they're gaining their power back yeah. and they're yeah. gaining their voice back. So I yeah, love that. survivors. Oh, it's like you chills. would never say a cancer victim. You would, you know, mm-hmm. you would say a cancer survivor. So like that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love that you guys are so like empowering and, you know, mm-hmm. like, how yeah. do we help this person get their power back? Yeah. And um, some of the other terms, because the thing about domestic violence is that we're, there's a lot of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, we'll use um, people with disabilities instead of disabled because mm-hmm. it's a people first language. 
will use killed by suicide instead of committed suicide mm-hmm. because committed has a negative connotation of crime, like yeah. committed crime. Mm-hmm. We'll use undocumented um, immigrant instead of illegal alien mm. yeah. for obvious reasons, in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. I'm an immigrant, but um, <laughs> because, yeah, illegal aliens is wrong. Um, so, yeah, so those are just some of yeah. the, you know, survivor-focused or just people-focused language, and I think for anyone that's wondering how, you know, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to say. If you get it wrong, just say, I'm sorry, and, you know, try again. Um, be yeah. willing to be wrong. Be willing to be corrected and mm-hmm. really pay attention to what people refer to as yeah. themselves, even pronouns or, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you want to stay in the conversation in the table, just pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think another word I've heard is um, transient instead of homeless. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that like, is it because like homeless... What's the reasoning behind that one? Do you know? Um, I think I think maybe because homeless, it's it's more of like a chronic, like, oh, they're always going to be homeless, while transient can mean, like, they don't have a house at the moment, but, like, hopefully through services, they'll be yeah. able to find their way yeah. back. Transient implies like that this is... Temporary yeah, it, it implies versus, that it's yeah. temporary. And yeah. I feel like homeless maybe... It's like an identity card. Like, yeah. 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 And, like, homeless is, like, saying you are without... Instead of saying you are between. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So then when it comes to things like abuse, stalking, rape culture, I mean, we could go on and on. (laughs) There's so many issues. Um, But why do you think it seems that society has a hard time believing women? I mean, the Me Too movement. I don't know about you ladies, but when that started happening, it was the church was a rough place for me Mm because... There was this constant, almost like trying to protect the men. Mm-hmm. Hashtag not all men. Hashtag yeah. Like you know. and sure, like sure, <laughs> but also like these women's the lives point. have been like affected forever, mm-hmm. and no one was talking about it. Yeah, yeah. There are. It's so complex, but it's one of the things that gets me very frustrated. Um, so when someone says like my wallet's been stolen, like no one says like. Prove it. Like, it has not been stolen. (laughs) Other crimes are not as questionable as this one, Mm. which is frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I kind of want to go, like, dive into, like, some of the statements that are victim blaming. Mm -hmm. So for survivors of domestic violence, some of the statements they get is, you know, why didn't you report sooner? Or did you make a police report? Also, did you provoke him or her? Did you, um, Mm -hmm. did you lose your temper or did you do something or like, oh, but you know, he's so charismatic. I can't believe that he would do something Mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are some of the statements with DV and then the sexual assault, you hear things like, well, did you fight back? Uh, why were you drinking or why did you go to this party by yourself? Mm -hmm. Or why were you, you know, walking alone at night or why were you dressed that way? Yeah. Why were you dressed that way? Um, or even why were you flirting with him? Like mm-hmm. it's yeah, like you shouldn't have been t- flirting with yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is means flirting in and of you itself can force like, me to do something. It's yeah. consent somehow yeah. Yeah. or is mm-hmm. inviting more like. Well, it's like, know. is it flirting in and of itself is a bad thing, right? Because yeah. when you flirt with someone, you're getting to know them. And you can flirt with someone and then realize, like, oh, this is oh, not a good I situation. Like I need to leave, you know? Yeah. You can also yeah. flirt with someone and, you know, it turns into a great blossoming romance. Like, yeah. But, you know, flirting is not in any means, like, an yeah. indicator of, you know, relationship or mm-hmm. 
entitlement or you know yeah no and even if you go on a date with someone if you say stop they should stop mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah just because you said yes to something you can change your mind you can say no you can go a different route like 100 percent. you can be in bed with someone yeah and then say no yeah and that is perfectly like valid yep. yeah yeah <laughs> and you exactly. know what he can take care of himself later he doesn't <laughs> really need you actually that reminds me like <laughs> This is a thing that I think comes up a lot. I think in high school, there was a kid who I remember, he said he had sex with this girl mm-hmm. in high school. and um, But he, like, acted like she had, I don't know, hurt him or whatever because he's like, I had blue balls from that because she didn't let me finish. And I feel like that gets used a lot by men where they're like, oh, well, you're going to, like, harm me if you don't have sex with me. Or, like, look at how... You know, pent up I am oh, right. with all my like, sexual your balls energy. are a little sore <laughs> newsflash balls are the most delicate thing on the planet so the wind could blow the wrong direction and then they're hurting so <laughs> plus but, but, also I mean, there's such like, a thing as finishing yourself yeah. off you can do that and you don't have to have blue balls I mean <laughs> that just seems sounds like a classic like mm-hmm. abusive threat essentially yeah, like yeah. oh you're hurting me somehow or whatever. I know yeah, and another one that we hear often, too, is like, oh, maybe she's just doing this for attention, or maybe she wants money from this. Especially the, the attention every woman wants. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that what a woman coming forward and talking about being sexually abused or assaulted, like, is not good for her reputation and is putting her, like, in a vulnerable space. Mm-hmm. Even if you are a woman in power as a celebrity with money and recognition and, like, a tons of resources available to you, you coming forward and saying, like, I was abused by this person mm-hmm. could impact the jobs you get it could it impacts like the way that people view you and you are putting a very vulnerable part of yourself out in the open like that's not Mm -hmm. something even though I think with celebrities specifically people in the general public tend to feel like they have a right to full access to a celebrity's personal life which they don't they deserve to have some extent of a personal life um to put that out there it's almost like this last thing that Mm -hmm. they have not exposed Mm -hmm. and then they feel like they need to expose it now because there needs to be justice brought like there's no there's really no like actual benefit to a woman coming forward and talking about this, except that it could bring some legal justice. Yeah. And even then, that it doesn't fully reconcile or change the fact yeah. of what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and I think of um, Dr. Christine Bozzi Ford, like that. All of those things that you just mentioned were all the things that were directed at her when she came out and and spoke out against Brett Kavanaugh, and no one. Not no one, but there were so many people that just like would not believe her because Mm -hmm. for whatever reason they felt it was politically motivated or that it was, you know, like it came out of nowhere. There's no way or it happened a long time ago. So therefore it doesn't count or, you know, whatever those things may be. And it doesn't count. Yeah. 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 That is the dumbest concept to me. The survivor had to go through PTSD, depression, anxiety, a lot of suicidal ideation. Like those are just typical things that happen after an assault. And yeah, somehow it doesn't matter because it happened 30 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. How long that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I do want to go back to that question because so I was just kind of going through some statements that are victim blaming. Mm-hmm. But one of the big reasons that people don't believe survivors is actually there's this 
psychology term called just world theory, Mm. which basically says that people want to believe that the world is fair and just. Mm. And so, like, for example, if if a tree branch fell on your car, um, someone might say, like, oh, why didn't you trim your branches or why didn't you park in your garage? Like, we like to kind of state obvious things to... We do this because we want to protect ourselves from anything bad happening to us. Mm. It's kind of the idea of, like, people get what they deserve. Like, if you're a good person, nothing bad's going to happen to you. Um, It's a way that we protect ourselves, basically. Mm. Um, We know, obviously, on a conscious level, that's not true. Bad things happen to good people. But, so, yeah, on a psychology level, that's why some people have a really hard time coming, you know, to the fact, like, oh, actually, this horrible thing happened to you. And this horrible thing can happen to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I think that's a, something that people have to um, juggle with and figure out. And um, But, yeah, on the flip side of that, the best thing you can do for survivors who are sharing their story and saying the things that happened to them is to actually validate their stories and say, mm-hmm. I, I believe you. You know, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Um, I'm here for you. Um, whatever way that you can find in words to let them know that you do believe them, you believe their story and you're so grateful that it takes so much courage for them Mm -hmm. to even say anything in the first place. Um, and then just accepting that, you know, some people report, but some people choose not to report and everyone knows their own journey towards healing. So Mm -hmm. the, the concept of the, the just world theory is really fascinating to me. Um, and I, I definitely see people sort of, uh, walking in that practice a lot, you know, and, and even just the thought that there's the idea, like, why do good things, or why do bad things happen to good people? You don't say, why do bad things happen? Or yeah, why do bad things happen to bad people? Mm-hmm. You, you don't question that, because you're like, oh, this is the consequence of their actions. They deserve it. Um, but then it's like, well, why do bad things happen to good people is coming from a standpoint of like, for some reason, being good exempts you from bad things happening to you. Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, there's sort of a balance that we have to walk in and a tension between being entirely cynical and thinking like, well, just everything sucks <laughs> and the world is just, you know, a total like crap hole of a place and everything bad's going to happen no matter what you do. Um, and then also having the optimism of like, well, like even though... Or uh, the the extreme side is the optimism of like, well, like nothing bad's going to happen if I'm good, if I'm a good Christian, if I'm a good person, if I help people, if I do well in my job, nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's just not the case. And mm-hmm. so there's there's sort of this delicate balance that we have to walk of saying like, um, yes, like in some ways, like the world is messed up and, and, and the world kind of sucks sometimes, but also there's so much goodness in the world and in people and people have, I would say probably some inherent goodness and inherent badness. So like, and like, I mean, as Christians, we know that like there's redemption in that and that, um, we can know the source of goodness, Mm -hmm. which is super helpful in that. But it's definitely interesting to think about, like, why do we even have that concept of, like, bad things shouldn't happen to good people, mm. you know? Yeah. It's certainly not biblical. It's not. Like, that's definitely not what the Bible says, even in the slightest. You can't mm-hmm. justify that at all. But I think, yeah, yeah for sure. But it's hard, too, because you're also balancing, like, like teaching your kids yeah. wise choices and, you know, like, 
mm-hmm. you know, teaching your daughters to hold key- their keys in their hands just in case. Yeah. You know, like there are things that we want to do to protect ourselves and that's good but like when bad things happen we can't like harken back to those things and say mm-hmm. well you did you do all the things because mm-hmm. yeah. sometimes yeah. it's outside of your control and yeah honestly like it wasn't your job to prevent a crime from happening in the first place yeah yeah exactly and i think i don't know if you're gonna say something sorry no you go for it you're the <laughs> guest <laughs> we are here to listen to you yeah. <laughs> no i was gonna say even on the question of like why didn't you fight back like when you, because we're talking a little bit about psychology, just world theory, if you kind of go deeper into that question, like, um, you know, there's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Um, and so it's actually a perfectly normal response for a survivor in that moment to freeze and not be able to say anything, to just mm-hmm. go through the motions. And um, this is a trigger warning. If you want to skip through this part, feel free to do that. But if someone chooses to look through a certain maybe point in the wall or hole or something while something's happening to them to detach, that's actually a normal response. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, they found out that fighting back is actually um, very seldom. It's rare for people to have the ability in their brain to fight back. Yeah, yeah. And so we shouldn't be um, questioning what people's brain-based response was in a moment mm-hmm. of trauma. Um, And so it's just, I think it's about people just learning and having a little bit of education and awareness of what Mm -hmm. is normal in a traumatic moment. Especially when we haven't been through a traumatic moment like that ourselves, you know, like it's easy to say, well, I would have done this or that. Like you, you really don't don't know. know. Like if you haven't been through a traumatic event, you really don't know. Mm -hmm. And like each traumatic event can actually be a different response. And, like, your body is literally just trying to protect you. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, like, that freeze actually is your body, like, I'm going to – it's a survival yeah. mechanism. Like, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to continue on mm-hmm. on the other side of it. And that doesn't make it okay, but it's it's so normal. Yeah. yeah. Out of curiosity, what is the fourth one? To fawn? fawn? Yeah, I've yeah. never heard this one. Yeah, I think people are normally like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so fawn is basically when like a victim of anything will go towards appeasing oh, the person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whatever you say is right. And it's, it's another survival tactic, but it, it, this is especially true in like human trafficking or anything that's kind mm-hmm. of, um, in that arena. So it's basically whatever you say, I'll just do whatever you say so that you just survive basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good one to to recognize as well. I think. I think a lot of people hear fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. but yeah. the fawn one is. Or yeah. really, which just actually, fight or flight. yeah, we that really gets on my nerves when people say fight or flight. I'm like, and freeze, but now I'll be <laughs> yeah. freeze and fawn, freeze and fawn, <laughs> <laughs> all of the Fs, yeah, all of them. Um, but I, Kelly, what you brought up, um, control. And I'm like that, it kind of is our like illusion that if we do good, good will happen to us. Mm-hmm. And then we're kind of in control of our lives, but then, but you know, when you have like anxiety or depression, you are kind of faced with, I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's something our society particularly really struggles with. We're like, oh, I can control this. I, mm-hmm. I know the formula to create the proper outcome or the desirable outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just not true. Like, yeah. there are so many other things happening and, like, other people have free will and free choice. And they're going to make bad ones sometimes. And they're going to make good ones sometimes. Yeah. And that is going to affect you. 
Yeah. yeah. I think it's like a false hope, you know, that if I learn this or that, that maybe that'll exempt me from, ex- mm-hmm. you know, experiencing anything bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to me, it goes deeper on like a, than like a cultural question of like, why are we teaching our young girls and women self-defense classes or take a pepper spray or don't walk alone at night? I'm like, why do we have to like learn these things? Or mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger, like my family definitely sat down with me and was like, if any man ever takes you on a grocery store, if any man pulls his pants down and asks you to do something, you scream and you like, yeah. I literally was coached these things and we don't stop to think, oh, like, why do we even have to have this conversation? But it's kind of goes back to like, why is there still a demand? Why is it still okay for men in particularly, not just with women, but with girls and boys, why are they still the perpetrators of this kind of sexual violence? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much lack of education towards like young boys and men on how to like control themselves and how to properly conduct themselves how to treat because the pressure is so often put onto women to like protect themselves or like I mean uh, I it's like standard practice if you're going on a date with someone as a girl to like share your location on your phone with your friends Mm -hmm. because it's like Mm-hmm. You might wind up in a ditch somewhere right, yeah. or to like schedule, make call sure. Or get yeah. yeah. All sorts of things. And like that's a, a man doesn't even think twice about that kind of thing no. and doesn't have that consideration unless maybe they've been through some sort of trauma that would give them that. Um, but on the general broader yeah. spectrum, there's not that consideration for men. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's just like a total lack of of accountability on men on a, in a yes. lot of ways where it's yes. like you aren't accountable for your actions um, and it's not your responsibility. Yeah. It's the woman's responsibility. Like mm-hmm. that's the message like, that oh, they just get. Don't worry about it. She's, she knows that stuff. Yeah. Or like, or it's the idea of like, well, like she probably wants it anyways, you know, um, or no <laughs> means yes. any woman. That yeah, when she says no, she actually means yes. Yeah, it's like oh, she's just being like coy, hard to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, nope. and it's it no. And like, even if she is like, you don't want to mess with that. Sh- no, like don't. Yeah. If just a don't. woman is being coy, as you say, if she says no, you stop, and yeah. then she'll let you know. Oh, actually, I do want you to. Yeah. Oh, I was just messing around. Yeah, yeah. like and mm-hmm. like there's that's not gonna you know. It, that's not a good excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's it's just turning it around onto her. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. So there's so much pressure on women mm-hmm. to be the preventers of yeah. their own, like, assault. assault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do wish, though, like, I think it would have been really helpful because maybe your parents sat you down. My parents didn't really sit me down and have that conversation. But I knew that, like... You know, like, people that can't touch me or whatever, Mm -hmm. things like that. But I felt like I never had a grid for how to recognize abuse or, like, what to do if that was the case. I was in, like, an abusive relationship, like, with a friend Mm -hmm. as, like, a Mm 12-year-old. And, you know, it wasn't for years after that that I figured out, like, that I processed through all that and figured out what it was. But it seems like we're not really... A, teaching 
our kids how to recognize abuse Mm -hmm. in the ways that aren't obvious Mm -hmm. and then also not teaching them how to recognize other people who are being abused yeah and it's i don't know it just feels like education would be super helpful in um, at least giving people a knowledge of what their rights are Mm -hmm. and what their autonomy is and what the like the power that they hold yeah and there's like there's tons of great resources for parents on like consent and like, I, I mean, since I work at One Safe Place, I have, like, all these brochures and amazing, like, curriculum that we use. But it's it's about, like, making the time as parents to sit down with your kids and even going over consent. Like, kind of like what I said, you know, if Uncle Joe touches you in your, you know, knee and you're not comfortable with that, you can say, no, thank you, and, like, have them not do that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's about parents. Um having that conversation and maybe just looking for resources and looking for ways where they can be equipped to do that. Um, On a prevention level, like we go to schools and we talk about healthy relationship and healthy dating and what's, you know, healthy, what's unhealthy, and then what's abusive and like, Mm -hmm. what's the difference in that? Um, We also talk about bullying, which bullying actually has a little bit of a tie in with domestic violence because it's also that power and control dynamic. Um, And so we talk about that. And so I think those are ways that we can reach everyone who goes to school, at least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I do think it's on, you know, a parent to make sure that they're having these conversations with their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And hopefully I think there's tons of resources out there. But yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And I think there's more and more as like over the years, there's been more and more resources and more and more uh, open discussion about it, which is amazing. Um, And I think that there's been progress, you know, since we were growing up mm-hmm. of, of what that looks like. Um, but there's also still room for improvement. And mm-hmm. um, because we still see incidences of abuse happening, obviously, all over mm-hmm. and all and way, way too often. Um, but speaking of like, uh, we've talked about like recognizing signs of abuse and stuff. But um, how do we like work to actively not be like bystanders to mm-hmm. abuse and, and which also kind of makes us complicit in that mm-hmm. abuse like how how do, how do the general public work to not be bystanders yeah yeah uh, that's a great question um they're all great questions <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's we do this a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but um seriously i think the thing about domestic violence and sexual assault is like i think a lot of people want to point out to these incidents of like, you know, maybe like a husband killed his wife and kids and then killed himself and we're like, oh, that's so tragic or like what a monster. Same with sexual assault. Like, you know, when things come out, like Jeffrey Epstein, I finally yeah. watched that Netflix <laughs> documentary. Oh, yeah. Um, you, you know, people now are like, what a monster, right? Like, this is awful. And mm-hmm. But the truth is that this is systemic. It's not a one-off incident. It's not, you know, this one psychopath. Yeah. Um, and so we have to look at it as a pyramid and on the top of the pyramid are the things or even like an iceberg, I think might be easier on the top mm. of the iceberg are the things that are obvious. Like everyone is going to say no to incest or rape or murder. Right. No, no's. Yeah. But then if you go down a little bit on the iceberg, you have like groping or unwanted mm-hmm. um, touch, um, things like that. And that might be a little bit less talked about. Mm-hmm. And then lower still on that, um, you're going to have comments that are sexual, catcalling, unwanted penis pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, so things 
that are a little bit less, you know, Obvious, bad. Yeah. And then you go one further still and there's going to be sexist jokes and things of that nature. And so I think bystanders have to be willing to have those conversations and to call out people that are saying mm-hmm. these kinds of things. Even people that are saying victim blaming statements, just saying, hey, that's actually victim blaming. We should actually support the survivor. Yeah. Or um, it's really uncomfortable, to be honest, to be like, that's not cool. Can you talk about something else or can you say this in a different way? Mm-hmm. And it, having that conversation and explaining to them why that's harmful. But the alternative is that, you know, if they're not called out, they think that it's okay and they're just going to keep yeah. perpetuating this cycle of abuse. Um, and then, you know, it can eventually reach that top where they are committing murder or think rape is okay or incest is okay. Um, so, yeah, we have to look at it as a system. It's not a one-off thing. It's not a let's take out all the bad people out there. Um, if it didn't happen on a cultural level, then it wouldn't get bad. It wouldn't rise up to the level that it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so then after thinking about the culture and society in its entirety, <laughs> um, if you personally know someone who has been through abuse of any kind, um, what is the best way to support them as a person in your life? Yeah. Um, I think the best thing you can do is literally believe them. Mm -hmm. Just say, like, I believe you. This isn't your fault. Mm -hmm. Nothing you did caused this. Um, Anything that validates their experience and what happened can be very healing to someone that's just had so much courage to open up Mm -hmm. about something that happened to them. Um, And then I would say, I mean, if you have a little bit of knowledge about, like, what a cycle of violence may look like or, you know, if it's a friend and it seems like they're constantly, like, in this, you know, breakup and makeup and cycle of abuse and then they're isolated and not... If you, like, kind of notice these things, you can kind of explain, like, hey, it seems like this is happening and Mm. I'm worried for your safety. You can Mm. express worry. Yeah. I think one of the things not to do is to talk negatively about their partner Mm. So what you don't want to do is say, like, you know, Johnny is blah, blah, blah. What a piece of blah. (laughs) (laughs) And then what that does, it actually makes the survivors start to want to defend their partner. And then now all of a sudden you guys are, like, on two different sides. Mm. Um, So you don't want to put yourself in that position. Actually just kind of, you know, give the power back to them and just, like, Mm. how can I support you in this moment? Mm. Or, you know, have you heard of this organization? Maybe you can talk to them and you know, feel free to say, like, I don't have all the answers. Like, I don't, I'm not an expert. I don't know if you should get a restraining order or whatnot, but you Mm -hmm. should, like, I can go with you to the appointment Mm -hmm. if you want me to. We can talk to, you know, an advocate or something. Yeah. Um, So I think those are just some good tips. Yeah, those are great. It's super important, too, and just remembering, like, in helping people, like, step out of keeping that mindset of how can I empower you and like mm-hmm. how can I ask good questions and how can I come in as a support rather than like you need to get out of this relationship you have to divorce him you have to do this this yeah. or this because mm-hmm. that's you know like telling people what to do is not the answer it's it's more so like helping them come to the conclusion that's going to be best for them and mm-hmm. sometimes that means saying like hey that seems like that would be really hurtful or mm-hmm. that, yeah that's how not do you normal. feel about that yeah right? you know yeah. like oh like you shouldn't have to put up with that kind of thing or you know something like that as opposed to like that's abuse 
This is their journey, and mm-hmm. everybody's journey of healing looks different. And so, I think we just need to believe the best about survivors, and just know that they have so much strength. Like they have the tools they need to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like always back to like empowering them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, Amanda, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and sharing so much wisdom, and yeah. hopefully, offering our audience some tips on how they can. Um, help people who have been through abuse or recognize abuse in their own life and um, Mm -hmm. awesome tools for moving on and um, getting help that they need. So um, we ask this to all of our guests. And so the burning question that we all want to know is what does woman being mean to you? A woman being um, to me, it means um, being comfortable in your own skin and embracing your vulnerabilities and strength. Um, It means recognizing kind of how you're different than, you know, males, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but still loving every part of you and what you bring to the table and what makes us unique. Mm -hmm. I think it's also embracing um, every kind of definition of what you know each woman um and who they are and what skills they bring to the table um but i think for me a big part of it is just embracing and not seeing our strengths and vulnerabilities um as something bad Mm -hmm. but actually as seeing it as something beautiful and worthy yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's beautiful thank you for sharing And uh, now's the part of the episode where you can, first of all, plug away. We want people to know how they can find you and like also offering up some resources that might be helpful to people who want to dig deeper onto this topic. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you can follow One Safe Place at, um, on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I think on Instagram, we're at OSP Shasta. On Facebook, we're at One Safe Place Shasta. Um And there are some national organizations that you can get tons of information about these kind of topics. Um, There is a National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. There is the California Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Um, There is the RAIN, um, which is for sexual assault survivors. Uh, One of the ones that I really, really like is um, Love is Respect. Mm -hmm. They have awesome quizzes and just material for people that are like, let me take this, you know, five minute quiz and see where my relationship lies on the healthy and unhealthy spectrum, which is cool. Mm-hmm. As well as like you can text them or use the chat f- to get advocacy, which is so helpful because a lot of people don't even, I don't know, I think it's hard to even start that conversation. Mm-hmm. So maybe having it be a little bit more anonymous is helpful. Um, as well as, well, so you can follow me on Instagram. I don't usually talk about things like this on my personal um instagram just because i think i just need a safe outlet if that makes Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. um but you can follow me if you'd like it's at manda underscore lampard 
Mm-hmm. If yeah. you just want to look at her beautiful face, <laughs> she's you saw her husband. Yeah, if yeah. you are my listening. Australian husband. <laughs> if you are listening and not watching, you need to go watch on our YouTube <laughs> channel because she's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So there, that's all the plugs that I have. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We um, so appreciate your time and it was a fun time getting you scheduled even. So <laughs> you've been amazing and gracious and uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to hearing how people receive this episode and um, yeah. So awesome. Woman Beings, you can follow us at, at Woman Being Podcast on Instagram. Check out our website, womanbeingcommunity.com and Please leave a review on whatever podcast platform you prefer because we're on all of them for the most part. And we love reviews. We love (laughs) you. And they are so helpful. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all for now. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you. you.